I think that the majority of us are hypnotized and that there is like rampant unconsciousness which leads to bigotry and racism and excessiveness and um, hyperconsumption and greed and misogyny and all of it. All that is in contrast to my morality and my ethics and my definition of being a whole person. So I, you know, I rage against the machine. Welcome to the Art of Humanity with Jessica Ann. Listen for fresh perspectives with artists, leaders, authors, and entrepreneurs. Explore creativity and consciousness. Evolve your business with the Art of Humanity. Now, here's your host, Jessica Ann. Hi, it's Jessica Ann, and this is episode 26 of The Art of Humanity. Today is Sunday, December 3rd, and it's the full moon. What's interesting about this full moon is that it's the Gemini full moon, the search for truth. My guests and I are Geminis, both in search of truth in this interview and throughout our lives. One of my favorite quotes about truth is by Henry David Thoreau. And I quote, rather than love, then money, then fame, give me truth. This full moon in Gemini is an inspirational moon to make unique discoveries for seekers of truth, whether you're spiritual or a scientist, and anyone in between. My guest today keeps it real on the spiritual journey and dishes out some white hot truth. Here's my conversation with Danielle Laporte. Welcome to the Art of Humanity, where we explore creativity and consciousness to allow you and your business to evolve. Today, I'm so thrilled to have with me Danielle Laporte. Danielle is an invited member of Oprah's Soul Super Soul 100. I can't forget the super. <laughs> a, group who, a group who, in Oprah Winfrey's words, is uniquely connecting the world together with a spiritual energy that matters. She is the author of White Hot Truth, Clarity for Keeping It Real on Your Spiritual Path, From One Seeker to Another. The Firestarter Sessions and The Desire Map, A Guide to Creating Goals with Soul, the book that has been translated into eight languages, evolved into a yearly day planner system, a top 10 iTunes app, and an international workshop program with licensed facilitators in 15 countries. Named one of the top 100 websites for women by Forbes, millions of visitors go to Daniela Port every month for her truth bumps and what's been called the best place for online kick-ass spirituality. Danielle, it's a divine honor to welcome you to the show. Mm, hi. Hi, everybody listening. <laughs> so, Danielle, you're truly a cosmic starship of self-expression. You radiate the human experience in such a delicate yet precise way. You've described your process, or process, as Canadians like to say, <laughs> as worshiping at the altar of word economy, which mm -hmm. makes for clear writing and the best truth-telling. You're really a bridge to the next paradigm of business, which makes sense because your last name, Laporte, means gateway or portal in French. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain mystery of portals, just like with consciousness. It's an invisible path that we can't quite hold in our hands. Danielle, you're someone who has spent your entire life walking through magical doorways, so to speak. You came of age in the New Age, and you describe a number of these experiences in your book, White Hot Truth. Was there a defining moment when you realized you had access to this so-called portal and that you'd become a portal for others? And how did this influence your path? Mm, my God, that's a big... 
<laughs> so poetic and cosmic. That was beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so was there a moment? Um, well, let me be clear. I don't think I'm special, but I felt different at a young age. So I think a lot of people feel the same way I did and do. You know, I'm six. I'm walking on the train tracks behind the, the acreage where we live. I grew up on a farm. I feel like I can talk to the hawks. I feel like there's fairies in the forest. And I feel like I'm the only one in my grade for grade one, grade two, whatever grade I was in class who thinks that way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just a really a lot of magical thinking as a kid and interest in metaphysics and, you know, I didn't know what it was called at the time, but cosmology started young. I, I, I talk about this in White Hot Truth. I was about 12 or 13, and a friend's mom gave me a book on channeling. And, I mean, I just thought it was like it opened up my whole world. And even, I, I should try and find that book again. It was called Messages from Michael. And it had the cover, had... Um, like a crystal ball on it and a Ouija board illustration. <laughs> and I mean, who knows if it was, you know, accurate channeling stuff, but that I was just like, I knew it. I knew there was another dimension. I knew there was a portal and yeah, haven't stopped consuming that kind of material or, you know, looking for doorways ever since. And it's, you know, it's interesting that you brought up my last name because I think, you know, my belief system is I don't think anything's an accident. And also, you know, I tend towards the dramatic and the poetic. So if I can find some symbolism or meaning in something I do, and I'm really happy to have that name, which does mean gateway. The literal, literal translation is not as sexy. It just means the door. Um but yeah, if you go back, it meant gatekeeper. That's beautiful. And, you know, portals and gateways are, are just so transcendent. And it, and it really cuts to the core of who you are. And it's interesting that you mentioned uh, the experience you had at six years old on the train tracks, because I read somewhere that you started writing at the same age. So I'm curious, what did some of your earliest work look like back in the day? six years old. Oh, my favorite thing. We had these, um, my grade four teacher cut these books up in threes. So like imagine like just those really light notebooks. They're just staple bound. Maybe she just cut them in half. And we got these mini books and they were lined and we got to make a prayer book out of them. And I remember going home and it was, I don't know if kids do this nowadays, but God, that made me sound so old, but you would, you would get your, you would get your textbooks and you would wrap them. Like you'd have to put your own book cover on them in some cases. So, and you'd use old bags and that was like your first thing you had to do at the beginning of the school year. And I, and I, so I knew how to wrap covers and I got this Christmas wrapping paper. It was silver foil. And I wrapped this little book. I made it a cover. And then I got, I had, there was a scrap of ribbon and it was red velvet. And I put it horizontally across the whole thing. 
And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I think maybe this is why I'm so obsessed. Every time I do a new book, like of my own as a grown up, I'm obsessed with getting foil on the cover. And there's, I've had arguments with publishers, like, just get me foil. I know it's an extra five cents per cover, but it's going to sell more. You got to do it. And finally, with my last book, which I did on my own, White Hot Truth, I, you know, it's got gold foil on the cover. So I think, you know, maybe you've just uncovered something that goes back to like grade six, my little prayer book. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, and your book, White Hot Truth is beautiful. I love the golds on it. It's just a gorgeous work of art. Thanks. Um, And, you know, keeping with the theme of early childhood memories, you grew up with a mom who was a therapist and a father who was a hockey player. You're someone who lives and breathes self-help. So how do you think that the dichotomy of their personalities played a part in who you were as a child and who you've become as an adult? Well, being a Gemini, uh, I think having, (laughs) yeah. When's your, when's your birthday? June 18th. June 18th. I'm a, I'm a May baby. So you know what it's, I mean, we love dichotomy. We like to have two of everything. I love contrast. I love really eccentric people. Uh, so that definitely had its upsides. It had its downsides because my parents were not compatible. You know, they split up, so that was really clear. Um, how did it define me? You know, my dad is kind of classic macho guy, like driven to like be a winner. And my mom... I don't know if I would say she was a hippie, but she was reading Tibetan Book of the Dead and Carl Jung and Wayne Dyer. And even just seeing that around the house, you know, I feel like I got some of that by osmosis. And when you get old enough, you know, you're 11, you crack open a book and you say, what is, you know, what's in this? And just to read a few lines from Wayne Dyer about vibration, you know, so... I'm happy for it. I mean, I had a really decent childhood and I think the contrast was part of that. You know, also also some turmoil there with the lack of compatibility, but mostly so good for me. Oh my gosh. Wayne Dyer at such a young age, I can't even imagine. Wow. That explains so much about who you've become and who you were then. Um, And that's something that I love and adore about you. You're very clear of who you are, and you describe yourself as a writer who happens to publish your work online. And even Mm -hmm. more fundamentally, you're a philosopher who happens to write. Uh, Can I stop right there? Can we get a fuck yes to philosophy? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck yes, yeah. (laughs) It's just so underrated today. Um, It is. And I know you mentioned that you love contrast and uh, dichotomy. How does that shape who you are? Mm-hmm. Well, it reinforces my devotion slash commitment slash obsession <laughs> to make a difference because I think that the majority of us are hypnotized mm. and that there is like rampant unconsciousness which leads to bigotry and racism and excessiveness and um, hyper-consumption and greed and misogyny and all of it, all of it. (laughs) So that is in contrast to my ideals. All that is in contrast to my morality and my ethics and my definition of being a whole person. So I 
you know, I rage against the machine in my own and my own way. I listened to your interview with our mutual friend, Srini. <laughs> um, oh, he's so great. Yeah, yeah, I love him. But he has the podcast called The Unmistakable Creative. And at the end, you describe someone who is unmistakable as someone who becomes more of himself or herself every day. Mm. And on this soul path that we're on, there's a chipping away of your identity that's necessary to become who we're meant to be. While the letting grow process is pretty empowering and, you know, saying bye-bye to materialism, it's all crucial to the process. And letting go of the ego is crucial to the journey. The thing that I love about you is that you're a paradox. You know, you're not just saying you're this beacon of light or an enlightened being. You have a personality, a package, and a karmic path that you're committed to. Have you ever felt like you were becoming someone you didn't recognize on your spiritual journey? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you, you know, you're going to get off track on the journey. And you need that creative tension. You're like, oh. That did not feel like me. That didn't feel cool. That didn't feel expanded. I'm going to get back on. I was out of integrity with myself, you know, whatever that means. Um, And, you know, where I'm at now in my life is I get back. When I see that I'm off track, I have a lot more compassion for myself than I used to. And I get back on a new track or the, the old track, you know, whatever feels like, you know, you know, being my true self. So, you know, I am, I have a, I, ha, I am wired for overwork and that will get me off track. I am wired to be visible and to communicate with massive amounts of people. And I've got to be, I've got to be healthy. I've got to be in integrity. I've got to be devoted, devoted um, to the higher work with all those characteristics or I'll get off track. I'll get burned out or I'll do things that I don't want to do for the sake of being visible, which is very, it's not an excuse, but it's really easy to do with social media. Um, I get off track and I, I get back on because feels way better <laughs> to be who I am. Mm. Yeah, I, I like that you mentioned that you're wired to be visible because you, at the same time, you seem like a very private person. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this world where everyone is oversharing and seeking approval, uh, how do you find the balance between a public life and a private life? Mm. Well, if I, it's in my nature. So I... I am nourished in solitude. I really like my close circle of friends. It's like happy, yummy, delicious. I want it all the time. Um, And I'm really intentional when I'm public. So if I'm online, there's a reason. I've got something to say. I think I've got something to offer. If I've got a gig, I'm there. It's um, making my living. I'm trying to be of service. And you got to keep your head clean and straight. Like you, you can't, you go nuts. You go crazy <laughs> if you are overly exposed. And I mean, even the most extroverted person needs to protect themselves and put things in place to, to honor their energy. We, we can't, we can't be engaging um, 
with massive amounts of people on a regular basis and not go a little bit crazy. Plus, <laughs> you know, I have a son. I protect his privacy. I'm, you know, the city I live in, I don't go out much to do worky stuff here. I just, I mean, last week, see, I've lived here, I don't know, 15, 20 years now. Is one of the few gigs I've ever done in my own city. And somebody I just met in yoga class was like, hey, will you come and talk to my team? I thought, well, you know, I've done 24 cities this year. That's nuts. Oh, yeah, I'm not traveling anymore. Why not? Your company's great. I met you in yoga. That means something to me. What the fuck? Sure, I'll go out. But that's very, it's, um, yeah, that's rare for me. And I want to make stuff. I know what I like. Um, I know what I love doing. And what I love doing is writing and creating and making product and I just need time to do that. I mean, it's also just a real practical thing. I l- like to be home making, mm. not, but not in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me guess, INFJ or? Yeah, I'm an INFJ. Oh my gosh, INFP right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was crucial to my understanding and my self-awareness to know that, you know, I need this time to create. And there's a beauty in that and knowing who you are. And how you restore yourself. This is a broad brushstroke, but just to like oversimplify it. Introverts restore themselves in solitude. Extroverts restore themselves engaging with other people. Mm-hmm. They, you know, we all, so the question for everybody is where do you, where do you get fueled? Where do you get your energy? And then you use that to be of service. Absolutely. And one way that uh, you know, some people find restorative energy is in music. And it's, I found that following your work, it's such a huge part of your essence. You know, we, we share a mutual adoration for Leonard Cohen, for Glenn Hansard, and you quote Hozier in your book. I'm curious, how important is sound and music to what you create and who you're becoming? So important. Like, huge part of my creative process Um music it, it's not always on I definitely have periods of silence in my days but you know like I'm working on a on a new program that I'm going to launch next spring and music is going to play a role because because it's healing and it's inspiring and it helps me say what I want to say and teach what I want to teach so I'll, I'm going to be cranking out all of these playlists and really if I had nothing else to do, I'd be a DJ. So it's my way of like, you know, getting like my DJ chops in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, and it. it's one of the greatest parts of being a parent is, oh, like my kid right now is super into Led Zeppelin and and Nat King Cole. I'm just like, I, I mean, yesterday he came home, he wanted to know about Linda Ronstadt. I just, I just like, wow. Wow, this is great. Wants to do a project on David Bowie. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, my work here is done. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> There's this precious dualism that you can't escape if you want to be wide awake. And you write in your book, White Hot Truth, even in horrible sorrow, we can still feel the joy of being connected to our truth. And, you know, I went through something over this past weekend, something that years before would have put me over the edge. And I was somehow able to find the joy of being connected to my truth, even if I was incredibly sad. So I could feel the polarity so intensely. And I kept asking myself, is this spirit, am I spiritually bypassing? 
Um, mm. You know, mm. I, I was able to weep with the full spectrum of emotions and almost timeline hop because I could see in the moment how it would help me in the future. And you talk about many of these types of experiences in your book. So I'm curious, do you think that dualism makes life more peaceful or more intense? Your, the question is dualistic, right? Because, <laughs> yes. Yes. right, you, sure need, <laughs> you need both yeah. the intensity and the peace. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a trippy, this is a trippy thing to even consider yeah. having a discussion about dualism because <laughs> um, you can't get around it. Um, I think non-duality is the goal, but it's also impossible. Um, but you can have transcendent moments where you do, you do rise above seeing things in black and white, either, or me and other right and wrong. I mean, I loved, I aspire to hang out there. Mm-hmm. Don't get there most of the time, have lots of opinions, <laughs> goes back to, you know, raging against the machine. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think that a part of the life's process is, expanding to that duality with whether it's through music or whether it's through conversations creating a book and and it's just a beauty there's just so much beauty in the world and and I love being able to see it through another person's lens through their story and tying it all together uh so I I'm really curious about uh something that you don't really describe or talk about too often um in terms of evolutionary love relationships, or at least the concept of it. Um, You know, I I know that you share snippets of uh, stories in your book about previous partners. um, And, you know, from the outside, uh, I know that what I see that you reveal on Instagram, you seem completely independent and on your own. And I'm curious that there's this new, because there's this new concept about evolutionary life partners and everyone's kind of talking about this. uh, I'm curious on your life path, how important is it for you to find a partner that you can maybe co-create with, are you looking for someone like this for your next evolution? Are you asking if I'm single? Oh no, um, no, no! I'm, like I'm more speaking to the path of like, is the, this a thing the, that I've missed? Evolutionary life partner. I mean, I completely understand what that means, but mm-hmm. is is this like an ism that's out there? Yeah, it is. You know, no, it's a like, new thing. Okay, like twin flame when you co-create with your partner and you can bring something unique and different into the world that didn't exist before because you have a partner who's on the same soul path as you. Mm-hmm. I'm so down with that. Yeah. yeah I, I want that. I totally want that. I will get that. Um, I hope I get that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I wish I could remember who I heard this concept from the first time, but it's the idea that the relationship itself is like this third entity there's you there's your partner and there's the relationship and ideally idealistically what you're doing is you're serving that entity you make choices that are the best choice for the relationship as a whole and then to to bring it up even higher that the relationship is serving humankind I'm so down with that. I think, um, you know, I want to have my nerve, my needs served in a relationship. I want to serve someone else's needs. Reciprocity is awesome. Being in love is awesome. And my prayer is that our love makes the world a better place. Not that, 
you know, if it didn't, there would be no reason to be together. <laughs> but, you know, I really, you know, I'm obsessed with being productive. So I think it'd be so efficient <laughs> if your relationship was improving the situation for the people around you or at least inspiring them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I became fascinated with this. Andrew Harvey has a new book out called um, Evolutionary Love Relationships. And it's mm. such a beautiful concept that, you know, while being, you know, independent and autonomous is beautiful. It's like if you can meet someone halfway, like not even be less of yourself or be half of yourself, but be whole and then meet another partner who is also whole and then bring it together to evolve humanity. Ugh, that is just a magical. Yeah, so hot. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. The majority of humanity is working through a lot of stuff right now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we're that's working... A, that's, a, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we're all evolving at a different pace and a different rate. And I know you are on an input fast. And you are very discerning with what you consume. And you say no a lot. Yet the process of creation is pretty collaborative. Uh, you know, even though I don't watch the news, I'll be listening to Jeff Buckley as I practice yoga or, you know, whatever mm. there is. And, and, and there's still some level of external influence on my work. And I'd imagine with yours too, how do you get inspired when you're on a media diet? Mm. Uh, I'm not so much on a media diet as I am a self-help diet. Mm. So, you know, for, it's, it's almost a year now. It's the year. I think it's the year. Uh, no. Congrats. <laughs> thank you. No astrology readings, no coaching, mm-hmm. no kind of channeling sessions, like pretty low on that kind of woo. I have an energy person that I work with and I have a shrink. That is, you know, that's my advisory board. Um, no tarot cards. There's no crystals in my house anymore. <laughs> so that's the fast that I'm on. And it's really helped me hear my own inner voice, make choices without regret, really, without regret. And just like there's a lot of so much more peace and spaciousness. <laughs> but I think, you know, what, what's rolled into your question is something around creativity. So when I'm making stuff, I don't refer to other people's stuff much at all. Like when I sit down, like, oh, okay, I'm this is the next book. Here's the time frame that I'm going to work in. I do not read other people's stuff. I don't want to be influenced. I don't want to write something and have somebody say, that sounds just like her stuff or his stuff. I can say, well, it isn't because I never read that before. Like I just, if I pick something up that's similar or, you know, honors somebody else's work, I just want to get it from the morphogenic field because we're thinking the same things. And I really just want to, I, I need that silence to just hear what I think. And then after I'm done, like doing a major project, then I, I like, I catch up and I just gorge on material and poetry. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to kind of contradict myself and say, the next thing that I'm creating, I'm taking a different approach. And I am about to do a lot more research, can be more research-based, and I want to, I'm very interested in other people's opinions on particular topics, like technology addiction and forgiveness and 
truth and reconciliation, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Mm, All very important topics that we need a lot of research on and, you know, to have the nuance and the context of someone like you, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I'm always curious about how people can find the time to self-nurture themselves. Someone like you who's, you know, I don't want to put the word busy on your lap, but you know, someone that runs a, like a really exciting business. Uh, how do you find the time to self-nurture on a day-to-day basis when you don't have any crystals? How do you do that? When I don't have any crystals, that can be done. <laughs> well, we, the company now works a four-day work week. That doesn't mean we don't work on Fridays, um, but mostly we don't work on Fridays. So Fridays is our flex day. I'm really getting in the practice of like for real not working on Fridays. And it's huge. It, it just really lets my engine cool down. And it also creates some elasticity. So if we are launching something, we use that time there. So we're working you know, 40 hours a week instead of 60 hours a week to launch something. We work 40 hours a week anyway. But anyway, so the Fridays off helps. I meditate pretty much every day. Um, The days that I skip are the days that life just takes over. You hit the ground running and you forget and it's time to go to bed. But mostly I sit and uh, I am not shy. (laughs) I am not shy of spas and cheap pedicures, uh, those things help a lot, actually. And then time with friends. I mean, really, not as much as I, I want. There's always some tension there, but mostly I go out of my way to be with my girlfriends. I love hearing that. You mentioned that you meditate every day, and in meditation, there's almost the sense of bending time. It's like you get more done when you meditate. Yes, yes. And we make it an intentional practice. Do you, do you know why it's not? It's actually not bending time. There, I mean, there is a sense of that, but metaphysically, it's not. That's not what you're doing. What you're doing is you're removing the debris part of what you're doing. Um, you're mo- moving the de- the debris that is making you unclear, that's clouding your thinking, that's blocking your energy, and you get that shit out of the way, and you can sit down to write. Your ideas come clearly. You can, you can give a great presentation when you're at work. You can say what you're really feeling to people. You communicate clearly. And I think that's one of the, well, for me, that's the primary, one of the primary benefits of meditating is you just give your mind a bath and proceed with clarity. It's not the only reason. There's other reasons important because there are so many things that we can't see um, with the eyes, but we can kind of see with the, whatever you want to call it, the pineal gland, the third eye center that, you know, <laughs> yes, yes, not to go, you know, too out there. But um, I want to hear more about some of this stuff because uh, in your book, you talk about your first occult book that you read when you were 13. And as a Catholic schoolgirl, this was pretty thrilling and illicit material. So you dabbled in esotericism at such a young age. Uh, mm-hmm. I really want to talk about this stuff. I'm fascinated because I'm curious, what is one of the wackiest or most out there belief that you think could possibly be true? Oh God. I mean, you pick one. I mean, if, <laughs> if I really told you everything I believed, well, lots of, I would be labeled as a conspiracy theorist for sure. <laughs> so I think, you know, I, I think there are, um, 
parties that would love to have a one world order happening. And that actually leads to some pretty esoteric stuff. Um, I don't find this too crazy, but I, you know, there's there are perspectives that we live 84,000 lifetimes, multiple dimensions, multiple incarnations. Yep, I'm down with that. Uh, I'm not so sure about living parallel lives. I, I don't, you know, I don't see why not. Why I'm not having some existence on another dimension right now? Like, yeah, I'm open to that one. Um, pretty certain aliens walk amongst us. Yeah, the list is pretty long and wacky, but I don't think it's that wacky. I think it's this is reality, right? So, yeah, <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's it's all a matter of perception. You know, once you yes. Once you let go of any limiting beliefs, your your mind expands and it frees mm-hmm. you open to higher consciousness. So mm-hmm. I, I I love you know knowing that you think those thoughts or at least share a similar beliefs because why not right? If you can't yeah like a lot of people go by the belief that if you can't see it, it doesn't exist. But then there are other people on the other side of the spectrum that say, hey, why not? <laughs> why can't it exist? So, well, I think they've really the other side of the spectrum is, is we're not saying why not, we're saying it does, and you'll figure it out. The rest of you will figure it out <laughs> when that time comes, whether it's yeah. this lifetime or 84,000 lifetimes later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you had the choice to come back as an earthling or hang out in a new dimension, uh, what would you choose? Like, do, do you love the human experience so much mm-hmm. that you would choose to come back as a human again? No, not necessarily. Let me think about that. No. Um, you know, the story with Kuan Yin, she's a, um, a deity of compassion, is that she will continue to reincarnate until hum- humanity is no longer suffering. And that is then another way to look at that. That's also known as the Bodhisattva vow. This is the vow you will keep coming to serve until your services are no longer required. And I think on some soul level, I've, I'm probably there, and I might come back. But as a, as a human woman, mother, creature, considering where we're headed, could very well be headed, am I that interested in coming back? No. I think it's going to get really difficult to be here, more difficult to be here. Um, Do I want to see my grandchildren? Sure, of course. Do I want to be here 600 years from now? I don't know about that. Um, Do I feel honor-bound, duty-bound to help facilitate a more conscious way of being? Yes. Is there more for me to learn as a human? Absolutely. Absolutely. Who I could be on lifetime, you know, three thousand and thirty-four. I've, I've got like another eighty thousand left. So, um, yeah. And I don't think any human. Why well, shouldn't say any human? But I don't have the capacity to understand. And in the little suitcase that I'm in right now, called a body, with my level of consciousness. Fuck, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I love being here now. I'm committed to being here now. I, there's nowhere else I would rather be now. And most of that has to do with my relationships. 
And I love how you phrase that, I'm committed to being here now. Uh, so, you know, that's there's so much beauty in that. And you're living and walking and speaking your path. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that you're very, you know, into meditation and you are, you know, coming out with a new program uh, called The Creation Space. Um, and I'm curious... How do you see your work evolving as you continuously evolve? Well, the creation space is a great example because it's the first full meditation that I've come out with. I've done some other little things before that I kind of shyly called contemplations, really stayed away from that word meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is it's a meditation kit. There's mantras and prayer and invocation and visualization and then an actual you know, meditative practice. That's new. That's new. That is my edge right now. And I will keep doing that. This is the first in a series that I'm going to roll out over the next two years. There's that. Um, I think I'll probably get around to doing some poetry, uh, meaning a book of poetry, which I also feel shy about. I, I think a lot of I don't know. I just kind of I hem I hem myself in a bit with that one, but I I would love to create that, and I'm changing the way that I work. So it used to be that I make stuff that I need in my life, knowing that if I need it, somebody else is need it. It needs it as well. It's going to benefit somebody. I don't really care what anybody else thinks about it. I don't ask. I do zero market research. I don't give a shit about data. I just make it, I put out there, I don't even, I'm not even edited, you know. And now something's shifting where I'm actually really interested in what my tribe needs. I know that I can help in some way for some people. I know I've got something to offer. Do you tell me what you need? And I'll see if I got something in my bag of tricks here that can give you some comfort, some encouragement, some relief. And uh, yeah, let me, let me know. Let me know. We'll see if I can make something for you. That's a really different creative approach. And that's, that's where I'm at this year. Yeah. That's almost like going to humans and saying, like getting data from actual living, breathing human beings instead of looking at the numbers. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, I'm including people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, yeah, I'm including people. I'm, re- I, I have, more of a longing to connect than I have ever had. And I'm seeing this with a lot of people right now. I think it's the result of a lot of things. One, you know, we're in such tumultuous times. We need to hold each other close, and we know this instinctively. And I think, you know, our modern technologies, let's just say, you know, our iPhones, have been around long enough that we're starting to feel the fatigue of that addiction. We're becoming aware that we're addicted and and we want that to change. So I, I yeah, I think there's lots of reasons we want to connect, but I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I want to I want to be here. Um, where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? I'm everywhere. I'm so easy to find. Mostly I'm on Instagram, which I'm obsessed with. Yeah. It's part of the it's part of the social media addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything I put out into the world goes out through Instagram. Um, but really, really the temple is Danielleport.com and 
every, everything, everything, everything is there when you need it. At 11.30 at night, you need a little love, it's there. When you need some entrepreneurial clarity, that's there too. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me. Mm, thank you, and thank you, everybody who's listening. Thanks for listening to The Art of Humanity. Please follow us on Twitter at It's Jessica Ann. Join us next week with your host, Jessica Ann. Evolve your business with the art of humanity.